Good morning. some announcements on Wednesday feeding the homeless women's Bible study is this Thursday at 6 o'clock yep. here the next men's study is November 5th at 9 a.m. The next youth night is Thursday, November 10th. Because the next like regular schedule will want to be like the day after your surgery. So maybe not a great idea. So, so the next one after that would be November 10th. Okay? Sound good? Mm-hmm. And then this Saturday is the fun run. Starting at Harvest Bible Church. Going down the new trail in Elizabeth to Evans Park and back. It's a 5K, fun run, walk. Yeah, so. um, And all the proceeds go to benefit alternatives. So if it's something you're interested in and want to participate in, let us know. The website is up there this time, so if you want to sign up, it's www.runforalternatives.org. That's the website. If you want to sign up, okay? Uh, cross country, huh? Yeah. And then lastly, uh, sign up for email updates, or you can check out the websites. The website has a calendar on it that's pretty much up to date. If you want to know when the next men's study is, or women's study, or youth group, or uh, any other special activities like race or like maybe even baptisms maybe we should do that I, I listened to the it's kind of cool you can listen to the message online so yes from there yep yep so it probably won't send out the folder because now all the teachings are online you can stream it there or you can go to the pretty much any podcast um, <laughs> outlet and you get it there and then all the slides are online now too so all on the website so so thechurchne.org there's a website so yeah where have you been it's only been announced like for a month obviously not paying attention well it's good to have you back Well, let's pray. Let's get started. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together, to focus on you, to learn more about you, about your son Jesus, about your spirit, how you lead, how you guide us, how you provide for us, how you love us, how you never leave us, you never abandon us. Um, You're always with us. um, For those of us who have received you, Jesus, that you you give us lots of promises and, and lots of guarantees in our life, and that we can look forward to each and every one of them, that you are the promise keeper. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would watch out for, continue to watch over the, our church family in Albuquerque and the loss of life that they've had, that you would continue to um, 
just comfort them um, and just be with them through this time. And the same for our church family in Collins, Iowa, that you would continue to comfort them with the loss of life that they've had and that you would um, just be with them and that you would guide them. And Lord, I ask that today that you would give our nephew Judah, um, you would just provide healing for him. You would guide the doctors um, in their treatment for him, that you would provide him um, and Steph with a good night's sleep tonight. Mm -hmm. They're sleeping right now. It's night there in, in Japan. That you would um, just watch over them. That you would guide them um, each step of the way. The doctors, that you would provide comfort to the to Ben and to Steph and to Judah um, and just meet them right where they're at. Guide them, bring healing to Judah's body. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. I just ask that your words be spoken today, not mine, that you would guide us through this study, that you would guide us through your word, that you would reveal more to us of who you are. I thank you for all the ways you guide and provide for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 11. For a whopping three verses. Huh? We're only going to get through three verses today in chapter 11. Three. For the whole service? For the whole service, we're only going to cover these three verses of chapter 11. Huh? Actually, we can find that picture. Wait, actually? Yeah. We're going to cover a lot of other verses. We're studying through the book of Romans, chapter and verse, in order. And we left off at Romans chapter 11, verse 24 last week. So now we're picking up in Romans chapter 11, verse 25 this week. So. You're on microphone. Yeah. Everybody's listening to you. Everybody can hear you. So, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. So Paul, up until this point, he's revealed to us his heart for the Jewish nation, his heart for his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, um, how he loves them, how deeply he longs that they would receive Jesus. Um, and that his longing and his deep suffering for them goes so deep that he would be willing to give up his own salvation if that meant that they would come to know him, come to know Jesus. And not in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense, he's saying that. He's trying to express how deeply he longs for them. But he wants us to be clear here in these verses and understand um, what God's plan is for the nation of Israel. Even though that they continue to, to turn away from him and reject him, that God is still faithful to them. God still loves them. And that um, what we're going to read today is what the, what the future holds. God's giving us a glimpse into the future. He's telling us what's going to happen. Um, he, he already knows the beginning from the end, and that's what he's going to reveal to us. And then we're going to take a look today at the, there was a lot of talk of the old covenant and the new covenant and what that is. Um, and there's other covenants, and covenants are how God governs with the people, how he relates to us. Um, there's other covenants, but here we're just going to focus on the old covenant and the new covenant. And and go through what those are and what that means. Uh, and how did God relate to us before Jesus, and, and how does God relate to us now that Jesus has paid the price for each and every one of our sins by his sacrifice on the cross. So, so Romans chapter 11, verse 25. 
I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. So what Paul's telling us as believers, he's speaking to the believers in Rome, is is don't feel proud, don't feel arrogant that, that God is using you now, because that's our job as Gentiles. The Jews' job or mission was to point people to Jesus, but they chose to reject him. They didn't receive him. So if they don't receive him, they can't point people to Jesus. But he's given us that opportunity. He's given the rest of the world the opportunity to point people to Jesus. He's not talking about salvation. We went over that. Um, We looked at how he brought Jesus into the world. And, and, And one of the ways he brought Jesus into the world was through Ruth, the Moabite woman. He brought Jesus into the world through Rahab, the prostitute who was not a Jew. Um, So he's not speaking of salvation. He's speaking of what his plan and purpose is, what his job is for the nation of Israel. And their job was to point people to Jesus. But they can't do that because they've rejected him. They say that, no, he's not really the Messiah. So now God has turned to the Gentiles, the rest of the world, to point people to Jesus. And the only way you can point people to Jesus is you have to receive him first, right? You have to receive that he is Lord, he is Savior, he is God that he is who he says he is, that he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was put to death unjustly, but the penalty of death, the penalty of sin is death. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus lived this sinless life, so death couldn't hold him. He defeated sin and death on the cross, and that all of our sins were taken out on that cross. All of the sins that we committed in the past, that we've committed today, and that we're going to commit in the future. They were all taken account on the cross. Um, The people who lived before Jesus, their sins were taken into account on the cross. And the people who will live long after us, their sins are taken into account on the cross. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows all of what he's going to do. And that this is his plan. This is his great plan for us. And Paul is going to, to help us to understand more of this mystery they call it but for those who press into god who want to know more about god it's not a mystery he makes it very clear to us and he makes it clear throughout his word so we're only going to cover these three verses in romans but we're going to go over a lot of other verses today because god is going to make it very clear over and over again what his plan is what his covenant is his old covenant and what his new covenant is and what does that mean and remember the whole reason that that jesus taught in parables or in stories was that we could read the story or listen to it superficially and make a quick judgment on God and his character, or we could look deeper into the story and into the meaning and truly know more about the God that we serve. And that's what we're going to do today. So with that, we're going to be going to Isaiah 59, because that's the verses that Paul's quoting here. He's quoting verse Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. He gets from Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. So, um, 
As you're turning there, I just want to go over a couple things in what we just read here in Romans. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. And they've, we've been over this. They've chosen to have hard hearts, and God's allowed them. God's given them what they want. God always gives us what we want. It's not his will. That's not what he wants, but he always gives us what we want, the desires of our heart. And it's our choice first. And then he reaffirms that. So they have hard hearts, but that's because they've chosen it. And they have hard hearts only until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. Until all of the, the believers come to Jesus, till the full number, and God knows what that full number is. But does that mean that they're going to have hard hearts and tell this because that's the way God made it? No, God's giving you a foretelling. He's telling you what's going to happen in the future. That the nation of Israel is going to have hard hearts. But that's only going to last until this full number of the Gentiles receives Jesus. Till the rest of the world, the, the number that, that God knows, receives Jesus. And at that time, the nation of Israel is going to open up their eyes to him. And that all of, of Israel will be saved. And I would say to you, that speaking of all of Israel at that time, that when their eyes are open to him, that it's going to be the whole nation that receives him. Not just a few or the majority, but the whole nation's eyes are going to be open to receive him. So, we're going to get in... We'll go to Isaiah 59, verse 20. Because that's what Paul's quoting here. So we're just, anytime he quotes something from the Old Testament, I always like to go back and read it. What does it say? And what is it in reference to? So Isaiah 59, verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is this covenant that he's speaking of here that Paul's referencing. This is the new covenant. Um, So if there's a new covenant, then that means there's an old covenant. And the, the covenant is, how does God relate to us? Or how does God govern us? Well, what's the, the terms or conditions of our relationship with him? And for the old covenant, to look at that, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. So what the old covenant is, when we pick it up here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, this is at the end of Moses' life. Moses was the one God chose to lead his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. And here at the end of Moses' life is where we'll pick this story up. So at this point, Moses has given them the law. And the law is, is the Ten Commandments, yes. But the law also goes more than that. There's the whole book of Leviticus is the law. And there's many rules and regulations that you had to do. Um, and this was God's perfect standard. And we'll read what the conditions of this were. So he's given you all the, he's given the nation of Israel and the world all the, the terms and conditions of, of what they need to do. And we'll pick it up here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Now listen today. I am giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster. For I command you 
this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life, and if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the nation of Israel has continued to waver. They, they, they choose to follow God, and then they fall away and follow false gods. They come back to God, and then they fall away. And at this point, they're, they've fallen away, and, and Moses is urging them, turn back to God. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Turn back to God, receive him, listen to his commands, obey them, and life will go good for you. You'll live a long, prosperous life in this promised land. But if you don't, he says... God will take this away from you. And God will bring judgment upon you. And the reason that God brings the judgment upon them and takes it away from them is to open their eyes to him again. And it's this continual um, back and forth with the nation of Israel. Which it can also be that way in our lives. We can walk with God and then we get distracted by the things of, of life. The things that attract us. Um, that, the things that take our attention. That, that take us away from God. And then God brings us back to him. He opens our eyes to him again. But it's our choice. And it's always, just like it was their choice, it's always our choice to walk with God, to live obedient to him. When we fall short, to be quick to ask for forgiveness. And what does he do? He forgives us every single time. And he removes that from our record. And we're going to see that later on today here. So, but the old covenant was fulfilling all the law. That's what the old covenant was. And it's, it was conditional. If they fulfilled the law and loved the Lord their God, that God would, would bless them. And I would say to you that God, and we'll see this also later today, God was more after them loving him than fulfilling every bit of the law perfectly. God was always after their hearts, not after their sacrifices. During this time, they'd have animal sacrifices to make atonement for their sins, to cover up their sins that never took away their sins. It wasn't until Jesus that our sins were removed from our record. Um, so this is what the old covenant was. These were kind of the conditions of it. You had all the laws, and, and I saved you from reading through the whole book of Leviticus today. Um, we'll just sum it up. Um, but we do want to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. So we had all the law, um, and you had this choice to love God, to follow him, to commit yourself firmly to him, to obey him or not to. And, and the nation of Israel 
would waver back and forth through this. They would continue to, to waver. Um, they would follow God, and, and then they would fall away, and they would follow these false gods. So, Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So here we have the talk between a new covenant, so that means there must be the old covenant, and we just read what the old covenant was. It was all the laws, and if they lived and and loved God and followed his ways, that they would be in the promised land, that he would give them long lives and they would be prosperous. But if he didn't, he would remove them if they followed other gods. So that was the old covenant. And here, Jeremiah is speaking already of a new covenant. So this covenant, in verse 32 here, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. So God's referring back to the one we just read, the one with Moses. When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So that is new. That's a new covenant. Because before, they had the animal sacrifices that covered up their sins, but didn't remove them. So this new covenant is that, that God will forgive their sins, forgive their wickedness, and he will never remember them again. He removes it from their record, Right? And the only way that he's able to do that is through his son Jesus, through his perfect sacrifice. And we'll get more into that here in a minute. So, but what this speaks of is that there's going to be a great revival. So when the full number of the Gentiles, what we read in Romans, comes to the Lord, that the nation of Israel, their eyes will be open, and all of their eyes will be open. And God reaffirms that here, that you won't, the nation won't have to go to their neighbors or to their relatives to tell them about Jesus, because they will all have their eyes open to Jesus, Right? This is a great revival throughout the nation of Israel is what they're speaking, is what God's speaking of here. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes to the Lord, whenever that number is, the, the nation of Israel will turn and open their eyes to Jesus. And is God making them do that? No. He's just giving us a foretelling. He's telling us what the future holds, that this is going to happen. He's giving us, this is what the Bible calls prophecy. He's telling us what's going to happen in the future. So, and how is he going to do that? He tells us that, that he's going to arouse their jealousy, the nation of Israel's jealousy, through the Gentiles. That the Gentiles, the full number of Gentiles, comes to know Jesus, and that the nation of Israel becomes jealous of our relationship with Jesus. And they recognize Jesus as their Messiah. So we have two comings of Jesus. We have the first coming where Jesus already came, and he came to, um, to save the lost. He didn't come to judge, but his second coming is when he comes to judge. And the nation of Israel didn't believe the first coming. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. 
but they still believe in the Messiah to come, in the second coming, that he will come back to judge the nations, and that that Messiah in the second coming is Jesus. Even though they don't recognize him as Jesus, they still are looking to Jesus, right? He's the one that's coming back. So, with that, let's go to Hebrews. We'll spend some time in Hebrews chapter 8. We'll spend some time in chapter 8 and chapter 10 here in Hebrews. So let's look more into this new covenant. You know, what more, a little more depth around what does that mean? What is our relationship with Jesus? So so Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6. So in the Old Covenant, the nation of Israel had priests. They had the high priest. And the high priest once a year would go into the, the, the Holy of Holies, the, where the presence of God was in the temple. And he would make an atonement for their sins, a sacrifice for their sins, once a year. And to be in the presence of God. Um, but now with Jesus, that, that priestly order is, is not what we follow anymore. And, and Paul is, well, the writer of Hebrews... Most people think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is going to explain that to us, of who Jesus is now. And and this idea that the priest would would make atonement or, um, or, or speak to God on the people's behalf, that's how the old covenant was, but now we have a new covenant, and Jesus is our high priest. So that's what we'll read here. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. He is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said... The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So God found fault with the people, not with the covenant. God's ways, God's rules, God's judgments are always perfect and just. Everything he does is perfect and just. So there was no fault with the old covenant itself. There was a fault with the people. And the fault was that the people couldn't keep those laws. You, you couldn't live up to God's glorious standards. And it points more to our need for Jesus. We can't do this alone. We can't live this life alone. We can't do what God's asked us to do alone. We need Jesus. Without him, nothing is possible. And that's what, that's what God is trying to display to us or make clear in our minds. You have all these rules and regulations that you had to follow. And this was perfection. If you did all of this you would be perfect. You would be found faultless. And no one has lived up to that standard other than Jesus. So it points to our need for him. And that without him, we can't do anything in life. Everything we have comes through him, is from him. He gives us all that we need. When we ask him into our lives, when we receive him as our savior, he comes into our lives and he never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's always with us. And he gives us the strength 
He gives us the courage. He gives us the knowledge. He gives us the wisdom to do what he's asked us to do, right? We don't get that from the world. We can only find that in him. So when we find ourselves struggling with our work, with our school, with our friends, it's because we're not walking with Jesus. We're not relying on him every minute of every day for the work that he needs, for the help that we need, for the patience that we need with our family, for the knowledge that we need at the school that we're in, for the knowledge that we need to do the jobs that we do. It's without him, none of this is possible. Everything is possible through him and in him. And that's what the law is really pointing towards. So there was nothing fault in the law or in the covenant. It was fault found in the people. So God had to come up with a new covenant. And this new covenant is that he would send his son to live that faultless life, to live that perfect life, to be the example for us. And that his son would free us from our sins, free us from our, our slavery of whatever we're, we're chained to, whatever sinful lives we're in. He would free us from that. He would free us from death and he would give us eternal life. That's what Jesus does. So we'll continue on here. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 9. This covenant will not be like the one I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But... This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord your God, for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know. So we already read that in the Old Testament, but we get to read it again. This will be a great revival. All of the nation of Israel's eyes will be open to Jesus. They will all, at that time, receive Jesus as their Savior. And God's giving us that foretelling, telling us what's going to happen, not because he's making it happen, because they are going to choose to receive him. And he's letting us know ahead of time, so that when it happens, we can know just how powerful and how mighty our God is. That he can tell us the beginning from the end. He can tell us what's going to happen in the future, right? Him and him alone. So we'll continue on. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. The same promise he gives us. He's opening their eyes to Jesus. When they receive Jesus, they get that same promise. That removal of sins from your record. Because your sins were taken out on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for each and every one of them. Every mistake we've ever made, Jesus paid the penalty for it. And when we ask for forgiveness, God removes it from our record. And he's going to remove it from the Jews' record too. When they open their eyes to Jesus. So when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So Jesus fulfills the law. We've been over this. He lived that perfect life. He was the only one that was able to. The law points us to our need for Jesus. Jesus completed the law. And now that he's completed the law, does it mean the law doesn't apply to us? Well, no. But Jesus summed up the law in, in two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he defined your neighbor as everyone around you. So when you do that, love God, love everyone around you, love yourself. You've completed all the law. 
There is nothing outside of that when you're walking in that. And we look at our lives, how that works in our lives, and oftentimes that works. Jesus explains it. We deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus, right? We deny ourselves, we serve others, we follow Jesus, right? We deny ourselves. Love is a self-sacrificing thing that we do. It's not a feeling we have. We deny ourselves. We love others. We sacrifice. We serve others. And we follow Jesus. Right? That's the example that he gives us. So, let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's take a look at what he continues to say in chapter 10 here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 is where we'll start. So Hebrews 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, and not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing from those who came to worship, right? Those sacrifices for sins never provided that cleansing. They never removed our sins because the cross had not taken place yet. The sacrifices only covered up the sins. And again and again, they do them over and over again, but it was never able to make us perfect in God's eyes. It was never able to give us that cleansing, that cleaning of our record. So here we'll continue on in verse 2. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or with other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. Oops, I think I read that twice. (laughs) He cancels. Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. So the animal sacrifices didn't take away sins. Only Jesus could take away sins. Only Jesus' perfect life could defeat sin and death. So, if we go back and look at, at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Um, at the end of verse 2 there, it talks about if these animal sacrifices had really cleansed, they would have stopped. It wouldn't have had to, 
have a sacrifice over and over and over again for the sins because your sins would have been removed and their guilt for their sins would have been removed, but it wasn't. But now with the new covenant, with Jesus' sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. They're removed from our record and so should the guilt go away. So when we still have guilt for our sins, when we think we can't be forgiven or God can't love us that much, that we need to recognize that immediately. And God's word makes that clear right here, that that's not from God, that our guilt of who we were, that's not who we were. We've made mistakes in our lives, but who we are is we are a child of God and that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us when we receive Jesus. And that the guilt of our sins, the guilt of our past life, we should let that go. Recognize that as, an, as a spiritual attack from the enemy. The enemy wants to, to get you out of position. The enemy can't take away your salvation. Nothing can separate you from Jesus when you've asked him into your life. Nothing at all. We learned over and over again, Romans 10, 9, that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is God, receive in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. Period. End of story. I believe in my head. I believe in my heart. I once lived a life away from God, and now I live a life with God. No doubt that I am saved. And that there's no doubt that God forgives my sins, and he removes them from my record. He doesn't even remember them. He doesn't bring it up. And so I shouldn't either. So when I have this guilt, that's the enemy trying to get me out of position, trying to say, oh, you can't do that. God can't use you. Look at all the things you've done wrong. And that's not from God. That's always from the enemy. We've had Jesus pay our penalty for sins, remove him from our record. So we need to recognize that as a, as a sinful attack or as an attack from the enemy and that that's not who we are. Who we are is we're God's children. That He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He'll never leave us. Those are the promises he makes to us. And that's what we have to walk in. And this promise that he removes the sin from our records, we have to believe that. And that's what faith is. Faith is believing God when he says what he says, right? So when we believe him, when we believe that he removes it, there should be no guilt. And when their guilt comes up, ask God to remove that from you. Ask God to free you from that. I've always been, we got taught a long time ago, that when you have these spiritual attacks, have three people picked out that need to come to know the Lord and begin to pray for him. So when the enemy comes and attacks you, we'll have three people picked out. And I pray for those three people and those attacks from the enemy go away. Those thoughts and the way the enemy attacks is in our thought lives. Oftentimes, they come with these thoughts of, of the enemy saying, you can't be this. You're, this is who you are. You're this person here. And it's usually the opposite of what God says. And we just need to attack. We need to recognize that. And, and I choose to pray for three people. And when I do that, those thoughts, those attacks usually go away. Doesn't mean they don't come back later. But at that time, they go away. So if we have guilt for our sins, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. Our sins have been removed. We are a new creation. And that God has made us for a plan and a purpose. And that we can choose to believe God at his word and choose to walk in that plan and the purpose. Or we can choose to have doubts and fears and unbelief. And not that God, um, we've learned that God doesn't, get mad at us for our doubts and fears and unbelief, but we can ask for forgiveness for them and we can choose each day to live a new life in him. So we'll finish up here with these last couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once 
for all time. No other sacrifices are needed. Verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by the one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit testifies to this. As so, for he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them in their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins or lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So we've heard this multiple times today, that God will put his laws in our hearts and write them in our minds. And what are God's laws? God's laws, God's ways are the word. So every day we can choose to put God's his word into our heart and into our minds. We can spend time in his word every day. And that's what he's asking us to do. And that when we spend time in his word, he begins to write them on our hearts. He begins to put them in our minds. So that when we're in situations, when we're challenged or we're troubled or the enemy comes against us, we can remember and say, no, no, this is who God says I am. This is what God says. This is what God's word says. Remember how this all started in Genesis with Adam and Eve. What did Satan do? Did God really say? Did God really say? He puts that doubt of what God says. And we're to to press into God's word. We're to read God's word regularly so we know what God says. So when the enemy comes against us and tries to trip us up and tries to manipulate us or confuse us, we can go back and stand firmly on what we know, on who God says he is. And that he'll never remember our sins again, that we are forgiven then that is so important. We've heard that over and over and over again today. And God tells us that in many, many places in his word because he wants us to really believe him at his word, that we are forgiven. Our sins are erased. They are no more because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. We needed Jesus to live this life. So we are going to finish up with Ephesians chapter one. This will be the last place we go today. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So those who believe in him. Glorious grace he has poured out. And what is grace? Well, you have to define judgment first. Judgment is getting what we deserve. Mercy is the next step. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We're guilty of this, but we're not punished for it. And grace takes it one step even further. Not only are we not punished for what we, what we did, but we received a gift instead. God's grace. 
undeserved, unmerited favor. There's nothing we've done to earn it. We didn't live a righteous life. We weren't perfect by the law. We don't deserve what he's done for us, but grace takes it one step further and gives us this gift. And this gift, I would say to you, is eternity in heaven, in paradise with God, where there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no sin, there is no sadness. We get to live this life with him. That's what grace is. That's his promise to us. So continuing on, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. It pleased God, not to punish his son, but it pleased God that we could be made right with, with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It pleased God that we could have a relationship with him, that we could turn our hearts to him. That's what pleases God. God just wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be perfect. He doesn't want us to, to do everything right, to check all the boxes. No, he just wants our hearts. So it talks about, Jesus says, it wasn't the animal sacrifices that you were after or any of that, that that didn't make us right with God. That didn't take away our sins. That didn't give us a heart for God. But what gave us a heart for God was Jesus. Jesus' love for us. God's love for us that he sent his son to die in our place. That's what the definition of love is, that self-sacrifice. Jesus made that sacrifice, and we can choose to love God. We can sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasure for God. We can live a life for God. We can live a life that reflects the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and we can reflect that light to those around us by how we act, by how we treat others, by how we love others, by how patient we are with others, even when circumstances don't go right, even when we're trying to get wire at Home Depot and the guy is taking forever, we can be patient and we can be loving, right? And we could be helpful because it does us no good to get mad because now we're not being a light and a witness, are we? But when we live a life that God's called us to live, we can reflect his light. And that's, that's his good pleasure. That's his plan. So we'll finish up verse 10 here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So this is God's plan, that ultimately at the end, he's going to bring everything under Christ's authority, that all of heaven and all of earth, we're told that he'll make a new heaven and a new earth, and that it'll be perfect, and there will be no sin, no death that we'll spend eternity with him in paradise. And that's the plan, that's the promise, that's what we get to look forward to. That's what grace is. And that our lives now have nothing, will be nothing in comparison to our lives then. That there's no, nothing will separate us from Jesus' love ever once we've received him. Even when we make mistakes. So when we make mistakes, what do we do? We're quick to ask God to forgive us. And what does he do? He forgives us every single time, removes it from our record. We receive that and we go on to live a life as being a light and a witness, being patient, kind, loving to everyone around us, including ourselves. But most important, we love God. And how do we love God? What does Jesus say? Over and over again, those who love me will obey my commands. 
And what does he command us to do? To love. It's this big circle. And love is the answer to it all. Treating others with love, respect, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness. That's what God asks us to do. And that's what we get to choose to do each and every day. And if and when we fall short, we ask God to forgive us. And he's righteous and just to forgive every single time and remove it from our record. And that's not who we are. We're not our mistakes. We're not defined by that. What God defines is success. The world defines you know, being rich or powerful or all these things that that's successful. But what God defines as successful is are you faithful? Are you faithful with what he's asked you to do? And if you're faithful, that's success in God's eyes. So that's where we end today. Yes. Do you have some questions? Yes. Okay. I have a few. Okay. Did you? Just a little bit. Okay. So the first thing you said when we first started um, church was um, Jesus came down um, for like Ruth and like someone else. So his family his tree, lineage. his lineage. So like his great, great, great grandma was, was Ruth. And Ruth was not a Jewish woman. She was a Moabite woman. And, and before that, you had, um, you had Rahab, Rahab, and she was not a Jewish woman, and she was a prostitute, so, so not even a morally good person, right? But she comes to know God, and her life changes. Ruth comes to know God, and her life changes. So God wasn't bringing his son through the Jews, this bloodline. He was bringing his son through the Jews, these faithful people who would come to know him. So it's not, a, it's not a race thing or a um, country thing or, or anything like that. It's not a group of special people. It's God opened it up and he chose to bring his son through all these people, but mostly through the Jewish bloodline, if that makes sense, or the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. And then, so I thought it was like, instead of he... Um, forgets our sins, I thought it is he'd never bring it up again. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting concept. Does God forget them? I think he's all-knowing. I think he, he knows what we've done. But I think the difference is that he never brings it up again. He doesn't hold it over our head, right? That it's never recorded again. And we see that over and over again. We saw that with Elijah when we went over the story with Elijah, and then we go to the to James chapter 5, and we don't read Elijah's unfaithfulness. We read, we read about how faithful he was. He prayed. No rain fell for three and a half years. He prayed again, and rain fell. And that's what God highlights, his faithfulness. Because he doesn't remember, he doesn't recount the, the things that unfaithful things Elijah did. And we see that with many, many people throughout the Old Testament. When we read about them in the New Testament, we don't read about the bad things they did, only the things that they did in faith. Because that's all God remembers. That's all God recounts. So at the end of time, the books will be open, it says. And, and what God's going to do, there's a great, right, the great white throne judgment. Jesus is there judging. And he's judging, did you receive him as Savior or not? And those that didn't receive him go before that judgment. But those who receive Jesus go through a different judgment. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. And I think he's going to open up the books and the records and the only thing that's going to be written down in there is the things you did in faith. That's it. 
and you're going to be rewarded for that, right? So. Okay, so like if, like, let's just say I did something bad and I asked him to forgive me, okay. and I go up to heaven, and um, the book thingy, and the I books are there, open. Yep. It wouldn't be in there. Nope. Okay, and then my third question is, um, okay, this is going to sound really weird, but like, what is a covenant? The covenant is like a, a fancy word for how does God have a relationship with us? What defines the terms of our relationship, right? Uh-huh. Like I have a, you could say I have a covenant with your mom. We are married and there's terms that define what does it mean to be married, right? And, and covenant is the same thing. It's God defining his terms, his relationship with us. And it's, the old covenant was if you kept the laws, if you loved God, you obeyed him, you followed all his decrees, that he would give the Jewish nation this land to be prosperous in. But if they didn't, he would take it away from them, right? So that was the conditions. Does that make sense? The terms or so the rules like, that you have to follow? I was going to say, for your, like, for understanding, that's like the, there was old rules that they kind of yep. lived by. And those old rules of the sacrifice of the animal the bloods wrinkled over it that was old rules and when you through christ we step into the new rules it's like a like to understand new new rules like there's an old rule book and now there's a new rule book and so the new rule book is pretty simple you had lots of rules before but the new rule book is number one receive jesus as god confess with your mouth that he's god believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead right that he lived this perfect, sinless life and death couldn't hold him. That he truly is God. That's rule number one. Receive him. And then rule number two is that when you ask for forgiveness, he forgives all of your sins and he removes it from your record. And that if you want to live a life that loves him, if you want to, to show that you love Jesus, you'll obey his commands. And his commands are pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor as everyone around you. That's his commands, right? So, so we've had this kind of complex, lots of rules and regulations, and Jesus, the new covenant, the new way God rules and or governs us um, or has a relationship with us is very simple. Receive Jesus and love everyone. Love God first and love everyone else. So I just looked up a definition for you, so let's look at it. There was an agreement and rules in the beginning, like that they started with, and now we have a different agreement. We're gonna have a different agreement and different um, legal action. So basically there was this set of rules, yep, and now right here. a different set of rules. And these, no longer. Those are old ones that we don't have anymore, and then right. these no. are new ones. Yeah. Okay, and then, I have two more questions. Okay, and uh, why can't, he come like like why can't God Jesus come down like right now and like save us all? Because COVID happened and then lots of bad things happened and I pray, I, I I I thought that like he would come down when that happened and save us. You're not wrong. A lot of people did. Yep. So <laughs> you you bring up a very good point. Like well, why doesn't he just come right now? Because God has a plan and His plan. God's will is that everyone, everyone he's ever created, 
that everyone would turn away from their sins, from their selfish desires, from living their own life. They'd repent. That means you, uh, repent literally means you do an about face. You're walking this way and you do a 180 degree turn the other way. You'd repent from your sins. You'd receive him, right? So God's will is that everyone will do that. So he allows things like COVID to happen. Um, other things like that to happen that are bad things because he wants people to open their eyes to him and receive him. Now, let's say that one of God's believers, someone who believes in Jesus, died during COVID. What happens to them? They're in heaven. They're in paradise with Jesus. So does that sound all that bad? No, COVID probably wasn't fun when they went through it, but I doubt they remember it now. They're in paradise, right? So even though it sounds harsh, God is still a very loving God. Now, those who didn't receive Jesus, if they passed away or died during that time, then they are eternally separated from him. But that's the life they chose to live. And God gives us what we want, our desires of our heart. If we want to live a life separate from God, we say, God, I don't want you in my life. You stay away. Okay, well, when we die, he'll give us that. It's not what he wants. That's not his will. But he'll give us that for all of eternity. So does that make sense? So, so bad things happen, but for the believers, it's really not that bad. Because the worst that could happen is we die and we're in paradise with him, which is great. But it does bring people, um, it does open up their eyes to who he is. So that's one reason why things like that happen. So basically that, how I thought about it was like, maybe God's like, well, when the virus happened, um, maybe God was like testing us to see if like, could we make it through it? But like, he was also like saying to people that you need to come home now because like, come up with me because this is your home now. For some people, yes. Yep. For some, he chose to bring some people home to him during the virus. Yep. And for others, it could have been a test of their faith. And, and not that he's, he's being harsh, but he's opening up their eyes to that they need to trust in him more. Even when things like this happen that scare us, that he is still God and he's still on the throne. Yes, I think he could do that. And can he open up people's eyes through this time to him? Like, oh, because when you hear... When COVID first came out and you hear that a third of the population is going to die, that's kind of a scary thing, especially if you don't believe in Jesus. You don't know what happens to you after you die, right? So could that raise questions in your life where you, you want to go receive him so you, you know that you'll be in paradise with him? Yes. Yeah, so I like the way you're thinking. Also, last question is... No, you said you only have three. She can ask one. <laughs> Just one. I'm sorry, I only had a few. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so, um, for some people, it's not hard to admit what they did, or like something like that. And for others, it's very difficult for them to admit what they did. Like, oh yeah. Confess, with, like if it's a wrong. When they make a mistake, when they sin. So if you want to. If, you're a believer, you're a Christian, right? And you want to know, am I a baby Christian? Or am, am I more mature Christian? And what we always got taught was that if you want to, to know that, or you want to look back in your life and evaluate that, which we're to do, we should evaluate our lives of how we're living for God. 
How long does it take you to ask for forgiveness when you screw up? Do you argue with God for a week? Ah, God, that's really not sin. Everybody else is doing it. It's not that big a deal. Well, you're probably still a baby Christian, right? But if you can recognize that sin as soon as you screw up and you're quick to ask God for forgiveness, then you're probably more of a mature Christian, right? Does that make sense? So, okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Any other questions? Or we covered all? All of them and more? You don't have any? Nope. Joelle had some good questions last week. You had any questions this week? Comments? Uh, you, had, you had comments last week. Yeah, you, you said. You had comments. <laughs> you had comments. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. <laughs> you had some good, good comments last week. Well, you didn't record it because I listened to the whole thing. Well, he asked them after I stopped recording. Okay. Good idea, Joel. That's right. That's a very smart idea. Okay. All right. <laughs> Are you still recording? Yes, yeah, recording. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to learn more about who you are. Lord, I just ask you to continue to speak to our hearts throughout the day. Continue to reveal to us who you are, that you are a very loving, compassionate God, that your desire is that you love us, that you want us to receive you and turn our, our hearts to you, to give you our hearts, to have that relationship with you. That's all you're after is a relationship. And Lord, I just ask that you would continue to work on our hearts throughout this day and that if we haven't received you, if we never asked you into our lives, that we would do that today. And that that's a very simple thing. It goes along the lines of Jesus. I believe you are God. I believe you died for my sins. And that my sins can be forgiven because of the work you did. And if you believe that, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. You'll spend all of eternity with him. And that's how simple it is. And it's not getting all the words perfect. It's giving him our heart. It's living a life after him. And then when we've done that, we get to receive him. And we're considered his children. We're considered God's children. And that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that he's going to begin to show us that. And we can choose to walk in that. And that we can choose to love him more and more each day. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for all you do for us. I do ask that you continue to watch over the churches we mentioned and continue to watch over Judah um, and just bring him healing, Lord. Um, and bring Matt's knees healing, um, bring healing to Christina's heart and guide the doctors, bring healing um, to Bonnie, guide the doctors, give them wisdom, give all these doctors wisdom with these people and how to treat and in a way that only you can, that you receive all the glory, Lord. I ask you would strengthen me, that you would guide me, um, give us the right words to speak this week to those around us, help us to love those, help us to be patient and kind with everyone we meet, Lord. Give us that. Um, give us friendship and fellowship with each other, with other believers. Help us to encourage each other, um, not just have conversations about worldly things, but encourage each other in you and, and in good deeds. Um, I ask you to watch over the sheriff's department, that you would protect them, you keep them um, safe physically, but had your protection over their lives, but also keep them safe spiritually. The, the enemy comes harshly against them, their families, that you would protect that, that you would guide them, that you would keep them safe. Lord, I also ask that you would just continue to guide us with a church that we can come alongside, um, wherever that is in this world. That we can partner with, that we can do life with. Open up those doors, Lord. Your will be done, not ours. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray all these things. Amen.